We are to not in any way revile and return. We want to do that. We want to be judges of the people. But we take it before the Lord in the context of truth. And there are times we see in Scripture where God, what they're doing, it's worthy of it. Now, if they repent, they repent. Praise the Lord. And God will relent if a man repents. Thanks for joining us for this midweek edition of Equipping the Saints, featuring the Bible teaching of Greg Lundstedt, pastor of Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. And Greg, the message today reveals some important truths about how we're to live out our faith. Yes, it does, Dave. And today, if we pay close attention to our study in Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to gain valuable and encouraging insight concerning how not to be overcome or demoralized by those who oppose the work of Christ. Turn with us to Nehemiah chapter 4. Well, thanks, Greg. And as always, if you have to miss a portion of today's broadcast, you can hear this entire program online at etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. Now, let's join Greg for today's message. See, that's how we fight our enemy, the shield of faith, which distinguishes every fiery missile. And then notice, secondly, from Nehemiah's example, get on your knees and get to the Lord. Nehemiah's a good guy. He's a man of prayer. And we're going to see that he prays about God and shows him what's going on. God knows, but he's going to pray about it anyway. And he also applies truth to the circumstance, which is encouraging for the builders, as you're going to see. Because those who are attacking are not going to succeed. Verse 4, hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their heads and give them up for plunder in the land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out before thee, for they have demoralized the builders. You know, Paul said he was the chief of sinners. Why? Because he persecuted the church. That's the worst of sin, right? You see that. And so he says here, Nehemiah prays. Now, this seems very heavy, and should we pray this way? Every time someone says something about us, Oh, Lord, do not forgive their sin. May they be blotted out. Do we pray that way about everybody? Well, how does this work with what we know in the New Testament? There seems to be some contradiction here, but there is no contradiction, as we will say. The word does not contradict itself. There may be apparent contradictions, but when we delve in and we divide it rightly, we will see there is no contradiction. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Turn to Matthew 5. Or actually, I'll read that, and you can turn to 1 Peter 1 after this. Matthew 5, 43. You have heard it said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay. It doesn't say how to pray, but I don't think it's praying that they're going to be not forgiven or something. You know, it doesn't seem like that, right? At least on the surface. What about First Peter chapter 2? We see that for this purpose, this is speaking of believers and then Christ, his example, First Peter 2, verse 21, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ has also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his footsteps, or his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. He didn't snap back. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. Well, how do we reconcile praying for someone not to be forgiven in light of that? What about Romans chapter 12? Let's turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, verse 14. 
Bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not. They're not speaking of what comes out of your mouth. Okay? It says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind. Associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So how do we reconcile that with the prayer of Nehemiah and other prayers in the Psalms? Even the prayer that Jeremiah prayed that I read earlier. How do we reconcile? There are Psalms that David shares that calls upon God to judge and not forgive. How do we reconcile these things? Those are in the Psalms. There are some unbelieving people who say, we need to leave those out. Those are for the Old Testament. Well, no, it's in God's word. It's inspired by God, and he wants us to have it. Now, theologians will call these imprecatory Psalms. I don't like that. I don't like that. I have a problem with that because the term imprecatory, you look it up in English, there's not from Greek, it doesn't come from the Bible. That's their definition in English. If you look at that, it means to swear, to curse, to blaspheme, to invoke, to bring down evil, or a curse to imprecate disaster. I don't think that's what's going on here. I don't like that word. So I'm not going to call them imprecatory psalms. Theologians may do so, but I don't like that. That's me. See, I don't believe that's what's happening in here or in any of these psalms. I don't believe that's what's happening at all. I believe what we're seeing is simply God's people calling upon God to bring about what he has already said he will do, to bring about judgment righteously upon those who oppose him and his servants. You'll see that. And we see it's a calling upon God to address sin and sinners in relationship to how they have afflicted those who are calling upon God in the context of doing God's will. They're not, as we will see, personal enemies. These are people who hate God and are attacking God through attacking his servants. So we're going to say. So how do we reconcile it? And reconcile prayers like, do not forgive their iniquity, return their approach on their head. That's pretty strong. Well, first of all, I think we need to clarify between personal enemies and those who are enemies of God and attack God by attacking his servants. In Matthew 5, it's quite apparent in the context that Jesus is saying in the terms of loving your enemies and praying for them, he's talking about personal enemies. He says, don't resist them, turn the other cheek. If they want your shirt, give them your cloak. If they want you to go a mile, go two miles. Okay, I think that's pretty clear there, the context there. It's also quite apparent that Jesus did not revile in return. He didn't revile in return. There was an action from him, and we're going to see Nehemiah is not reviling in return. Jeremiah was not reviling in return. David didn't revile Saul in return. We'll see his actions were quite different, even though he prayed that he wouldn't be forgiven, as we'll say. It's different. So then here we see Jesus didn't revile in return, but what did he do? He kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously, who brings righteous judgment upon those who were persecuting him, right? And causing his suffering, even though God was using it for good. He's a righteous judge. Romans chapter 12, it's speaking about our responses to our enemies, how we respond to them. 
We should never return evil for evil. We should never, with our mouth, curse. We should speak well instead of cursing, right? We should not revile and return. We should be at peace, try to be at peace with all men. We should never bring forth our own wrath, but leave room for the wrath of God. It is how we react with them. We're to treat them in the right context, in the context of giving it over to God, rather than being the judges in the moment, reacting towards those who are hurting us. Look at the example of David. In his prayers, they're strong. And he called for God to bring about the righteous vengeance and judgment upon his enemies. But these were also in the context God's direct enemies, going and thwarting specifically what God was doing through David. Take, for instance, Psalm 109. Let's turn there. This is a long one. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let's look at it. This is one of those ones they call imprecatory. I don't like that. I don't think it's valid. Psalm 109. And you might want to read the whole thing because it does resolve itself in the end. We see how God uses these situations to cause people to trust him. And to let, leave it in his hands. Leave it in his hands. And that's what you're doing. Judgment's in your hands, God. It's in your hands. These psalms are an example of leaving it in his hands, by the way. Psalm 109. For the choir director, a psalm of David, O God of my praise, do not be silent. For they have opened the wicked and deceitful mouth against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongue. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred. Hey, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's the kind of stuff we're going to experience, by the way. That's what Nehemiah and those guys are experiencing. They have surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without cause. In return for my love, they acted as my accusers. But I am in prayer. Thus they have repaid evil for good and hated for my love. Appoint a wicked man over him. That's a person, specific person, by the way. And let an accuser stand at his right hand. I don't believe he says who it is because these are going to apply to situations that we have. We see that in the Psalms. Sometimes the name isn't there. It says here, and let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him come forth guilty and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few. Let another take his office. Interesting. Sounds like a king, possibly. Let his children be fatherless, and let his wife be a widow. Let his children wander about and beg, and let them seek sustenance far from their ruined homes. Let the creditor seize all that he has. Let strangers plunder the product of his labor. Let there be none to extend loving kindness to him, nor any to be gracious to his fatherless children. Let his posterity be cut off. In following the generation, let his name be blotted out. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and do not let the sin of the mother be blotted out. Now David is praying in accordance with what God shares about the sin of the fathers to the second, third, fourth generation of those who hate him. He is praying in the context of truth of what God has already declared will happen to those who don't repent. That's one of the keys. It's not a personal vendetta towards this person, as we're going to see. And if this was Saul, which it probably was, we need to remember how David treated Saul. Personally, he didn't revile in return. He actually blessed. He could have chopped off Saul's head in the cave, and he did not do it. He actually cut a piece of his garment off, and this is First Samuel 24, and he felt guilty about that. You see, we are to not in any way revile in return. We want to do that. We want to be judges of the people, but we take it before the Lord in the context of truth, and there are times we see in Scripture where God, what they're doing, it's worthy of it. Now, if they repent, they repent, praise the Lord. 
The Apostle Paul did repent, and God will relent if a man repents. But Paul would even say himself, he was the chief of sinners. He wasn't worthy of God's grace, right? Chief of sinners, but God is gracious. So then we see this in the Old Testament. But what about the New Testament? Well, Jesus prayed what would be called one of these types of prayers. If you think about it, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. If thy kingdom comes, that means people are judged. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Let your judgment come and clear this all up and establish it on earth as it is in heaven, right? Got to remember that. Galatians chapter 1, what does Paul say? But even if we or an angel in heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we preach, let him be accursed. He says, let him be anathema. Let him go to hell. That's pretty strong words. If that's what they're going to do, this is what God's response should be and is. They'll go on there and say, and as we've said before, I say to you again, if any man is preaching you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. There are some sins that are very serious that God calls about judgment for them. Now, we are not the determiners. We pray, God, may your will be done as you have declared. Lamentations, chapter 3. And actually, before Lamentations, in 1 Corinthians, chapter 16, what does Paul say? What does he say in 1 Corinthians 16? If any man doesn't love the Lord, very second last verse, let him be accursed. It's a pretty serious thing. So we have back in our passage, Nehemiah calls upon the Lord First of all, to hear how they're despised. Hey, go to the Lord and tell them what's going on. Listen, Lord, we're your servants. Listen to what they are saying. He says, listen to how we are despised. Listen, O our God. We are doing your will and we're being despised for it. We're being attacked. Lord, I have chosen to raise my kids rightly in you and to be obedient in this and look at how we are being attacked. Lord, Listen, we need to go to the Lord. We need to share it before him. Nehemiah is a man of prayer. He's a godly man. Bring it to the Lord. And then notice he shares this response, or he, I believe he prays in the context of God's will for Ammon and Moab, what God had said in Ezekiel 25, that he would judge them. And I believe he prays in that context. Return their reproach on their own heads. Give them up for plunder in the land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before thee, for they have demoralized the builders. There are some sins God doesn't tell us to pray for their salvation. New Testament examples, false teachers. Stay away from them. Pits of black darkness prepared. Yes, that's what God will do. Now, could somehow, like Paul, one of those repent as a chief sinner and get saved? Yes, but God is saying this is what's going to happen. Unless a man repents, he will relent, right? You see that. So then, put their sin back upon them that they would not be forgiven because they've done such a great evil. And they have, as we see here, verse 5, Do not forgive their iniquity, let their sin be blotted out before thee, for they have demoralized the builders. Lord, these are those who are doing your work, and they're being demoralized. Nehemiah is not returning evil for evil. He is simply praying to the Lord. He is calling out to the Lord to bring about his right vengeance for their sin. That's what he's calling about. Based on God's word, the great evil they are doing against God's people, and thus God. And again, as I mentioned, it's in accordance with what God would share. You could look at Ezekiel 25 of what he will do to Ammon and Moab because of their attitude towards Israel when they were expelled. Their judgment was on the way, and he would have that Ezekiel passage probably.
So then, no doubt, Nehemiah knew the enemies of God would receive his judgment. And he's praying about that. Think about Jeremiah, what he says in Lamentations 3. Now, we always think of Lamentations 3, you know, greatest is faithfulness, you know, wonderful passage, but let's go a little farther than that. Because Jeremiah was not having a good time with the people around him. Jeremiah 3:56, And this comes in prayer. This is us before God, right? So Lamentations 3:56, Thou hast heard my voice. Do not hide thine ear from my prayer for relief. For my cry for help, thou didst draw near when I called thee. Thou didst say, do not fear, O Lord. Thou didst plead my soul's case. Thou hast redeemed my life. Hey, you've been faithful. You are faithful, right? O Lord, thou hast seen my oppression. Judge my case. Thou hast seen all their vengeance, all their schemes against me. Thou hast heard all their reproach. Sound familiar? O Lord all their schemes against me. The lips of my assailants and their whispering are against me all day long. Look on their sitting and on their rising. I am their mocking song. Thou wilt recompense them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You see it, you will recompense. What did Paul say about Alexander the coppersmith? Alexander the coppersmith says, done me much harm, the Lord will repay him. They say, Now, we see that, but we also see in Psalm 7, turn to Psalm 7, that the psalmist, same psalmist from before, also understands that if a man will relent, the Lord will not bring that upon them. Psalm 7, and let's go to verse 11. God is a righteous judge, a God who has indignation every day. And they're praying in accordance with that. Lord, look at what they're doing. Bring your judgment upon it. But notice this. If a man does not repent, there's the key. These are unrepentant people against God's people that they're praying against, I believe. If a man does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow. He has made it ready. He has prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. This is the bad person. Behold, he travails with wickedness. He conceives mischief and brings forth falsehood. He has dug a pit and hollowed it out. He has fallen into the hole which he has made. His mischief will turn on his own head. His violence will descend on his own pate. That's the top of the head. And I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of our Lord Most High. If a man does not repent, he said there, he will sharpen his sword. We love to talk about the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, and praise the Lord. But there's judgment also. And maybe even the context of these prayers, someone might see their wickedness and repent. See their wickedness, what God will do to them. If they do not repent, rightfully so, justified, deserving, deserving of not being forgiven. We leave vengeance in the hands of God as exhibited in our prayers. Now, I believe God, if you're following the Lord, you're walking with him, your heart's going to be right. And if the Lord would have you pray any way like this, it's going to be in the context of what else we see, which would be if they don't repent, they could be forgiven. You know, we're to pray for our enemies, as we see the Lord Jesus said. But here it seems like they've crossed a line. We see that with the false teachers. What about in Revelation chapter 6? You have the souls that were martyred, and they're under the altar. Let me read this for you. Revelation 6, verse 9. And when he broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God, because they were serving the Lord. Right? The word of God, God's word, and the testimony which they had maintained, and that's in Christ. And they cried out with a loud voice, 
How long, O Lord, holy and true, will thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They're not saying, please, I pray that they'll repent. I'm not saying there isn't a place for that. But there's also a place for God's judgment. What about Revelation 16? Revelation 16, verse 5. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous art thou who art and was, O holy one, because thou didst judge these things. For they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink. They deserve it. Now that's God's word. God says they deserve it, not us. We do not determine what anyone deserves. We pray according to God's will and what he says. So then, is it wrong for us to pray judgment upon those who are sinning greatly against us? Was it wrong for Nehemiah to do this? Well, from Scripture, it's not wrong for him to do it. This was not sin. This was righteous. Is it wrong for us? Well, in light of what else we are to do, we're to pray for our enemies. We're never to take our own revenge. We're never to revile and return. We're never to utter threats. We're to keep entrusting ourselves to the one who judges righteously. We're to leave room for the wrath of God because vengeance is mine. We're not to return ill for you. In light of those things, in light of that, the Lord may lead us to say, Lord, may this happen to them. May you righteously do this if they don't repent. You're a righteous God. And what that does is remind us, I believe in this, it reminds us that no one is going to get away with anything when it comes to bringing suffering upon God's people. They're not going to get away with it. I think that's the biggest point out of this. They're not going to get away with it. Trust the Lord. Focus on him. And when you know that and you focus on him, that he's going to help you, he's going to take care of those who are against you, don't worry about that. He's going to take care of them. Then you can be about his work. Notice back in our passage, we see here in verse 6. So we built the wall. There you go. We went and built the wall. They didn't stop. They were demoralized, but they got back to it. So we built the wall. And the whole wall was joined together to half its height. They're half done. And notice what it says. For the people had a mind to work. They had a heart to work. You see, when you know God's going to take care of your enemies, when you know that he's going to protect you from them now if you trust him, when you know that he's going to accomplish his will through you, you can relax. You can rest. And you can have the right heart and get to work. So then... How are we to keep from being overcome by our enemy's reproach? Realize Satan uses people to try to demoralize us. He does. Secondly, pray about the situation from the right perspective. Understand that God is sovereign and he will take care of them. Pray from the right perspective. Share it before the Lord. And third, persevere in the Lord's work from the right heart. Keep doing it. If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the ministry of Equipping the Saints, all our audio resources are available at no cost to you. Thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 
888-888-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Greg, as we close today's broadcast, I think it's important to reiterate a couple of key points from today's message. Yes, Dave, indeed. First of all, we need to understand that if we're about the Lord's work, Satan will use people to try to discourage us so that we will quit. But don't focus on them. Trust the Lord. Believe the truths. And secondly, we must be praying about the situation from a right perspective. Bring it to the Lord. Leave judgment in his hands, yet ask him to intervene. And then lastly, we must persevere in the Lord's work from a right heart, and then the Lord will take care of the rest. So then, brother and sister, are you tempted to be discouraged? Get into the Word, listen to this message again, then pray and persevere in His work, and remember, the Lord will strengthen and protect you. As we close today's broadcast, here's an important message from our teacher, Greg Lundstedt. Hi, this is Greg Lundstedt, and it is my great privilege to study and teach the Word of God and to share it with you each day on this radio station. And as you listen, I want to ask you this question. Has equipping the saints been a blessing to you? If so, would you prayerfully consider coming alongside us financially? You see, your financial partnership with us is so appreciated. So on behalf of the team here at Equipping the Saints, we want to praise our Lord and thank you for your prayers and financial support. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, to partner with us, call us toll-free, 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. Or if you prefer to send a gift online, our web address is etsradio.org. Well, we hope you make plans to join us again right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints. Yeah.